Welcome to the For Fox Sake podcast. By the fans, for the fans. With all the news, views and discussion from two lifelong Leicester City supporters. It's your show, so get in contact. Make yourselves heard. What's your opinion? The only Leicester City podcast that's by the fans, for the fans. This is for Fox's sake. Hello and welcome to episode 54 of For Fox's Sake. My name is Rob Hayes. Joining me via various different technological means is Pete Selby. We're in different cities, but we're not going to let that stop us catching up on what's been an eventful 10 days or so at Leicester City. How are you, Pete? I am fine, Rob. Are you receiving loud and clear Tango Roger over? Loud and clear across the various different airwaves, yeah. If only people knew how much effort it took to actually do this, then uh, then they still probably wouldn't be appreciative. Anyway, um, what a week or so it's been. I mean, we've not actually done a podcast since, um, I think it was the defeat to, or the draw against, I can't remember, it was so long ago, there's so much happened since. Um, I suppose the best place to start is with the last game, which was Bournemouth away. Um, a 1-0 defeat away at Bournemouth, not the greatest result, um, not the greatest performance as well. Strange time of year this, where the games come thick and fast, and if you don't pick up many points, you can slip behind, and if you do manage to get on a bit of a roll, then it can mean that you shoot up the table, but not the greatest performance, and uh, I've seen the goal, I wasn't there, uh, neither were you, because you, you were doing the swimming, what you, what, is that what you're doing now, swimming, isn't it? Um, um, yeah, I'm in Sheffield at the swimming now, yeah. Yeah. So uh, none of us uh, saw the game, um, but I saw the goal. And what about Ron Robert Zeeler? Hmm. You don't. You, you think he was a, he was to blame for the goal? Yeah. Well, he's not the great. I mean, personally, after, after seeing him now for a bit, and I think this isn't like groundbreaking news to any Leicester fan. He's not the greatest keeper in the world. We know he's got problems with crosses and dominating his area as much as Schmeichel has, but. He was grasping thin air for the goal. I know he made a save with his legs beforehand. He made almost a calamitous error where he chased down Callum Wilson by the side of the pitch. Um, I think the sooner we can get Schmeichel back, the better. A disappointing result after what was an unbelievable game at home to Man City. Uh, A game which, unfortunately, you were not at, were you? No, I wasn't. No, just on the Bournemouth one, though. Ranieri wasn't... Uh, he was more disappointed and frustrated with the result, I think, than the performance. He was pretty happy with the amount of chances that we created and there was a, a late chance for Ojoa, I think, to steal a draw and a draw was probably a fair result. But fair play to Bournemouth on their own home turf. I think they're up to the highest uh, position in the Premier League in their entire history. So they're they're going pretty well. So a 1-0 loss away to Bournemouth having played OK isn't particularly drastic, but... It follows a run of results in the Premier League that before the Man City game weren't particularly uh, inspiring, shall we say. But let's talk about the Man City game and let's put the Bournemouth game to bed. Man City, did did you ever think that Leicester would produce a performance on that level this season? Uh, no, not at all. I've said to a few people since the game, if you asked me at the start of the season, would a 90 minutes or a spell of a game match or beat anything of last season? Well, the answer is obviously no, because nothing can beat the best season of all time, and that will ever happen, probably. And yet this has. The first 20 minutes, 
I honestly would say, I said it after the game, I said it's a few days after, and now we are uh, nearly a week from the game. Um, I generally think that 20-minute opening spell is the best 20 minutes I've ever seen Leicester play at any time in my life. And uh, I've asked a few people, and they've kind of roughly said the same. We were awesome. Now, the first thing I'll say is, I know we've not been playing great in the Premier League. Why aren't we doing this every week? Let's just put that to one side for a minute and revel in this victory, which was stunning, live on TV. So the whole world's watching because of obviously Man City and the Champions Leicester. It's the stories there already. Vardy with a hat-trick. We were awesome at home. And it was it was set up. It was tipping it down with rain. Vardy hasn't scored for ages. First goal, fantastic control pass by Maris. Finds Slimani. Slimani, who you think maybe he's really good in the air, but on the floor, maybe not. One touch control, through ball for Vardy, rounds the keeper, 1 0. Place goes mad. Second goal, Andy King, right footed shot, uh, sorry, left footed shot, guided into the top corner, past Bravo, who, to be perfectly honest, he's garbage, isn't he, really? I know he's got his qualities, but as, at a goalkeeping level in the Premier League, where Teams like Leicester and other teams are just targeting him. He's been found wanting. 2-0 up inside five minutes. Absolute dreamland. And then the goal after 20 minutes. Vardy rounding the goalkeeper after a fantastic ball by Fuchs. who strode out of defence like a young Beckenbauer. Launched the ball down the right-hand side towards Morris. It was in absolute acres. And... You won't see a better touch. Last season, Mares that flick for King's goal was it against West Brom at home was was sublime. This was ridiculous. You don't try it in May when it, the pitch is rock hard and also you know it's 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 sunny and it's there's no wind or anything. Not when it's windy and tipping it down with rain at the King Power in December. One touch, control and pass in one little movement. It had to be inch perfect. It was Vardy ran the keeper. 3-0 up against Man City, Pep Guardiola, that whole shebang. And it was unbelievable, which is something I know we've said a bazillion times, but it was fantastic. We smashed them. But that first that first 20 minutes was how we won the Premier League title, really. And there's a lot of people that are, that are question a lot of the fans, their, their main question is, why can't we replicate that kind of... Uh, that kind of performance, that kind of intensity against all the all the teams in the in the Premier League. Do you think Manchester City were perhaps a little bit naive when they came to the King Power, thinking, "Oh, these are the failing Premier League champions. They're they're no good anymore. We're a team of Galacticos. They're not playing in the same way, so we'll come and try and dominate on their patch." Uh, um, not expecting us to turn back into essentially the the Premier League champions. Um. Well, first of all, on Man City, I think they completely underestimated Leicester. I think Pep Guardiola got it massively wrong. John Stone stood there, centre-half. To his right-hand side, he's got Bakary Sanger, who's an ageing fullback. To his left-hand side, he's got Kolarov, who lost a bomb forward, who spent most of the time in his Leicester half rather than his own half. They were the three defenders that were playing. Uh, Zabaleta was playing in no-man's land in midfield. I didn't quite know what he was doing. Um, and it, it was just a mess. So Leicester looked up and went, well, we'll just play it in the channels and run onto it because there's no one there. It was kamikaze play by Man City. I don't know what they were thinking. And obviously Leicester took advantage. Not a lot of teams would take advantage the way they uh, way they did. Now, was it because Man City looked at Leicester this year and says they're rubbish, they're not like they were last year? Was Guardiola being overconfident? Maybe. Um, 
And, you know, they're a good team. They had the whole the ball the whole entire game because we, when we had the ball, we created chances. We could have been four up at half-time. You know, we rode a look a couple of times, but the goalkeeper didn't make a lot of saves either. Um, and when we just said, we, we just went narrow and said, look, you get the ball out wide because you've got Kevin De Bruyne on the left-hand side, who's a fantastic player, yet he's being neutralised because he's just way out wide and he's going to have to cross the ball in rather than dribble past a number of players. And the guy on the other side, Navas, is an absolute donkey. So, And he, he was awful for saying, he, for saying he had the ball so many times because he just stands on the touchline. He's an outlet, but that's it. And he got the ball so many times, hardly beat his man, couldn't cross a ball. It, dreadful. And hey, uh, you're, you're calling out some very high-level professional footballers here to be pretty useless. Claudio, Claudio Bravo, Jesus Navas is a donkey. This is this is incredible. Yeah, I'm enjoying no, well, this. It, it, Navas, Navas was dreadful, and the reason I'm saying he's dreadful because he had the ball so much because he was standing out wide. And Leicester went, okay, we'll stay narrow. You get the ball and try and do something because we know that you can't. You are rubbish. The guy on the other side, De Bruyne, is a fantastic player. Wasted out wide. No idea why they didn't play Sterling out wide, who looked dangerous when he came on and then moved De Bruyne inside behind uh, the ineffective forward in the Acho. It was it was crazy. And yes. Me, along with a lot of Leicester fans, were thinking if they get a goal before half-time to make it 3-1, it could be a really difficult game. That's fine. Obviously, that's the case. Slimani had a header, which he rose too early, and that would have made it 4-0 before half-time game over. Vardy scored from an absolutely impossible angle, who just read the play from John Stones. Once again, him and Bravo, uh, no communication there, which, of course, we know how important that, because of the communication between Schmeichel and our defence is fantastic. It's not when Zeele's there. 4-0 up. Um... And granted, they scored two goals later on, a free kick, which, again, as soon as he steps up, you're thinking this is in the back of the net because of the goalkeeper. And I know Schmeichel doesn't cover himself in a lot of glory when it comes to long-range free kicks as well. And Nolito scored when our players were on their feet. Now, to respond to the first question, why don't do this every week, it's because our players are human. Should they? Yes. Are they underperforming in the Premier League? Yes. But have they just come off a massive high and do they find it difficult to get to that 100% instead of the 95 that they're putting in? Now, you should say 100 grand a week, they should be doing that every time. Yeah, these are professional footballers. If every single team did that all the time, then the league would look really different. And it's it's a hard argument to try and defend players who earn so much money because that's essentially what people always come back to. Is it their fault? No, it's the way that the game is. But... The fact that they're all, you know, earning a lot more money than they were, should they be putting the effort in? Yes. But is it going to be a season when we are going to beat big teams in these fantastic games and then lose away at the likes of Bournemouth, who are very good at home, um, and look at West Brom after uh, they beat us? They've gone on a massive run. So things are fine. Granted, we're still near the bottom of the league than the top. But that performance against Man City is a highlight of the season. I walked away from that game going, I'm not entirely bothered about what's happened in the league so far because that was not just a highlight of the season, that's a highlight of supporting Leicester. So some live reaction, Pete, to what you have just claimed about that being the best 20 minutes that that you've ever seen Leicester City play. Uh, I'm recording my end of the podcast uh, in a room with Stephen Jameson, who hosted the uh, Coptit episode, I believe, where he's a Liverpool fan and he's a colleague of ours who who stepped in when we were unable to do the podcast. He 
is absolutely incredulous at the fact that you think that's the best 20 minutes you've ever seen Leicester play, said, were you watching last season? Please, please could you uh, justify your bold statement, Mr Selby? OK, well, first of all, he definitely said he's definitely not incredulous because uh, he doesn't know what that means. So uh, uh, that's definitely one thing. Uh, the second thing is that, yes, I know we won the league last year, but and we've played against Manchester United in, and won 5-3 the year before, which a lot of people would say is the best game that Leicester have ever been involved with for a number of reasons. The fact it was 5-3 and just an amazing day. This game came on the back of a 5-0 defeat in the Champions League, which we're going to talk about in a minute. It was tipping it down. There's a lot of pressure on Leicester. Their main two players, in theory, Drinkwater and Schmeichel, two of the main five, say, um, they were missing. Um, so, basically, the pressure was on Leicester incredibly against Guardiola and his Man City team. It was on TV. It was tipping it down in rain. And we were scintillating, absolutely scintillating for 20 minutes. I'm saying the 20 minutes was was the best. It was unbelievable. It was it was classic Leicester. It was quick counter attack football. The goals, all three of the first, well, the first three goals were all superb, absolutely superb. You can look at the pass, the touch, the finish, and it was just peak Leicester. Leicester peaked at that second. You've got the team of heroes, the team of champions, um, and they ripped apart a team who are trying to win the league. And it was a big V's up to the rest of the league to say, we are still here, we've been playing on two fronts, we've not gone away, I know we're not playing great in the league. And it would just show the world that we are the champions and, and on our day, then we can still beat anyone. And not just beat them, we can thrash them. And because of the way that we've played in the league, yes, we've been in Europe, that somewhat has gone away and a few jokes are being made on Leicester's behalf. That's why, for all them reasons mixed up, that was the best 20 minutes that I've ever witnessed from Leicester. But arguably, the worst 90 minutes was only a few days before when they played away at Porto. I tell you what, your your transitions between subjects are so smooth. Are you are you some kind of professional broadcaster or something? <laughs> uh, so how what, how uh, have you got there? That's incredible. Oh Exactly. You're, you're, well, it's an honour to work with you, sir. Oh dear. Man. Yeah. Um, no. Let's talk about that because um, a lot of people. Yes. Uh, part of the the Champions League fun, if you like, is is booking the away days to different countries and seeing new places. And and you yourself did it for Copenhagen. A lot of Leicester fans went to went to Portugal, went to Porto for the last group game. They most of them will de- well. I would say probably all of them have booked their tickets before they knew that there wouldn't be anything riding on the game. Um, we we'd won the group already. We knew that there were more important factors at hand in, uh, in terms of the Premier League and picking up results there. As such, Ranieri left five or six key players at home, so we knew it was going to be a sort of second string side. But but to go there and be beaten five 0 was a bit gutting. It was gutting. It was almost like the perfect storm in terms of not being of being a disaster. Basically, if you were one of them fans, who I feel ever so sorry for you because that was the big trip, weren't it? Porto away, uh, the big club, the big ground, and unfortunately, nothing was resting on that game from a supporter's point of view. In a way of it being a contest, obviously, we all like the fact that Leicester have already won the group, um, so it was a perfect storm in terms of it being a disaster. Leicester quite rightfully rested the majority of players because obviously what happened 
you know, three or four days later, we went to beat Man City. So Ranieri was proved right. Uh, first of all, I think Ranieri comes out of this with a lot of um, a lot of goodwill. But from my point of view, I think he was very good because he took the blame. He said, "It's my fault. I made the changes. Don't blame the players. It's all on me." And let's just see what happens at the weekend with the the first team. Indirectly, he did blame the players though, because he said it's it's my fault. But uh, it's my fault. They were knocking at the door. These are players that are saying, or that other people are saying, should be starting or are pushing for a place in the starting eleven. Not getting much game time. It was their chance to show me what they could do, and they didn't do it. So he kind of, I I, I realize, I understand that he did absorb a lot of the blame, and he said ultimately it's my fault, which is which is good of him yeah, because I think the fans are not on the backs of the players already, but are, are a little bit disillusioned with some of the players' performances this season. So to take the spotlight away from the players, I think, was the right thing to do. But do you agree with him that the the reserves, if you like, the, the Damari Graves, for example, should have stepped up and should have done more? Oh, massively. That's that's what I was going to say. He, he, he took the blame, but he then blamed the players, saying, look, they did not take their chance. Now... Um, first of all, we all have had players who played for Leicester in the past who maybe didn't start very well, Kante last year, um, and then maybe grown into a first-team player. Others have started like a train and then faded away. So I'm not saying that every single one of these players has ruined their Leicester career, but it's not the skill factor that was missing, it was the effort. And I'm not talking about a player playing 90% instead of 100 or even 60. There are a number of players there who were lacking massively. If we go down the team, which is in front of me, Ben Hamer in goal. Felt sorry for the guy. He's not played a league match, or sorry, a 90-minute game of football for a first team since last season for Bristol City. Next game, he's playing against FC Porto, who needed to win away. You got Hernandez, who, to be honest, should have played centre half instead of fullback. Frazileski looked like a bus. Um, he's unfortunately he shouldn't be playing again because he's just too old and slow. Not We've said problem. that a couple of times on this podcast, haven't we? He's, he's we a good have. he's a good club man to have around. He's experienced. He's professional by all accounts. He's a very good trainer. But at, at 36, when pace wasn't perhaps the biggest part of his game anyway, when he was in his prime, to put him in against Porto, I think was a, a little bit daft. And and again, I'd, I know it's a strange one, but while we're in and around the centre halves, how how is Johan Benaloan captaining the the development squad? Uh, and you're giving your third choice keeper in Ben Hamer, who you say the last 90 minutes he played was for Bristol City. You're giving him a run out, but Ben Lawan, who's been playing 90 minutes um, straight through for six, seven weeks now for the development squad, how is he not given a go? No idea. There's got to be something behind the scenes. But Vasilevsky, whether it was something in his contract, whether it was something that looked like you've been brilliant for the club, so uh, you know behind the scenes we'll give you this chance. Wes Morgan was heroic in trying to cover the entire defence. Ben Chilwell, I know he might turn into a decent player. I'm not being funny. The guy didn't look like he could kick a ball. He was a child lost on the field. He was running around in circles in his own penalty area. He was chasing the ball, not marking players. He wasn't tracking runs. He looked like he'd never kicked a ball in his life. I know he might turn into a good player, and again, he's been thrown into the deep end, but it, it was an absolutely appalling display. Worse than that was in front of him on the left. Jeff Schlupp was terrible, and I'm talking about his effort. We all know his limitations as a player. You've said it many a time. Is he an athlete first and a footballer second? Probably. But Jeff Schlupp was absolutely dreadful. The way he didn't close down for the, uh, I think it was the third goal, uh, which was the volley or the second goal, 
it was terrible. He was dragged at half-time. Mendy was not fit, and hopefully this 90 minutes will go a long way into actually getting him fully fit, because the part of his game which we bought him for is his tough tackling. He didn't want to put a foot in because of that. Drinkwater had nothing around him and tried to, you know, marshal whatever troops were available. Gray looked like... Um, a little boy sulking on the wing. He's got that look about him. His, his shoulders are always low. We know he's a good player and he's got the potential to be a great player, but you wanted him just to take that chance a bit more. And then the two up front, Okazaki and Musa, didn't have anything over the top or two feet. And I thought Musa was quite poor. Ajoa came on along with Albrighton at half time and looked fantastic. The best player on the field by a mile was Barnes, who came on uh, in midfield for Drinkwater with 15 minutes to go. What a find he might be. But, and I put this in context, being Porto away, a team who have won the Champions League, the perennial champions of Portugal, they are, have a team who will be sold at the end of the year for about £30 million each because they need money and they're all a good young team. Um, they needed to win, okay? Once again, it's a perfect storm against Leicester. The team we put out would have struggled against championship teams. Yes, saying all that doesn't cover the fact that we were dreadful and also there was a tremendous lack of effort which was really, really worrying. Now, three days later, we turned that around against Man City. So whether the boost we had from this, i.e. Ranieri really going to town and basically when they got back, read them the riot act, I don't know. It was a disgrace, really, the performance. But... They turned it round against Man City. That's the sign of a good team. There's been a lot of rumours going round, and a lot of, in this age of social media, which of course we like with for Fox sake, on Twitter, on Facebook, etc., there's been some absolute nonsense. Rumours about problems behind the scenes. Where's that come from? It's just, it's just rumours. Um, people calling for Ranieri's head. Fools, idiots, uh, ridiculous. There were people phoning in other phone-ins, um, or phoning, should I say, on national radio, asking for ridiculous things. They are trolls, like I said last week, just trying to get their name out there. It's it's quite frankly ridiculous. And um, a lot of pressure has been put on Leicester from fans. Now, granted, are there fans at the club who go to the games who have never been before and people are going to call Fickle? Well, call them Fickle all the like. They've paid money to actually be there. If they've only been there for a year or two, then so what? We've got to start somewhere. I said at the start of this year, anyone who wants to join the bandwagon can do. That's fine. But don't boo a team at half-time who are drawing at home. Don't make wild statements about uh, managers and about the way club is set up if you just don't know your football. Go there, enjoy. Get behind the teams. Enjoy being a Leicester fan. Enjoy it. Enjoy the roller coaster. Look at the last week or so. But... That game was dreadful, absolutely dreadful. But I love like it I said when before, it is a rant because I, I want to try and put across how I feel, and that's it was a disgrace. But the whole thing was changed on Saturday, and it, and it really was. And that kind of, in in a, in some ways, justifies the the defeat. Uh, nobody wants to to lose five nil, and I'm not saying that that fans would have taken the four two against Manchester City on the provider that they'd have lost five nil to Porto because, as we said, hundreds or thousands of fans went to went to Portugal. Uh, I just want to go back to one player that you mentioned there because he's probably one of two or three players outside of the starting eleven that you'd think should or or could be pushing to to get selected more regularly. 
and that's Damari Gray. And you said he's got that kind of demeanour where he, he looks a little bit sullen, his his shoulders are a bit sunk sometimes. He, For me, I, th- I think from from the way you got the best out of him at Birmingham City is by playing him week in, week out and putting almost putting a bit of the focus on him and saying, look, you're you're the man that can create things. You're the man that can go and beat players. We've got a lot of faith in you. Here you are starting. Show us what you can do. Yes, that's true. And, and he has shown us what he can do. Um, I think you have to start by looking at his age. He's a young player um, and he's still got a lot to learn in the game. And, uh, and, and that's absolutely fine. And also, he's playing for the Premier League champions. He's got a league winner's medal. So him being a bit, I don't want to say Mardi, but yeah, Mardi, do you know what I mean? Him being a bit down face and all this, hang on, you're a professional footballer playing for the Premier League champions. You've got a league winner's medal under your belt. Um, You're playing in the Champions League. You are regularly the first person off the bench, which means that you are next in line if anyone drops out of the first 11. You are pushing for a first-team place. Yes, you've not been given it yet, but there's so many plus points. Just look like you're a bit more, not for the cause, but just a bit more up for it, rather than dragging your heels around. And that was the prime opportunity away in Porto. He didn't take it. No one else did. You look down the team, no one took their opportunity at all, whatsoever. So, it's not just him, but looking at that team, Hamer, Hernandez, Vasilevsky, uh, Morgan was okay, Chilwell, Schlup, Mendy, uh, Okasaki Muta, apart from obviously Drinkwater, with the fact that he just didn't have any choice, he didn't play well at all, Drinkwater, Gray is that person we look at and go, you, this is your chance, you're in the Champions League from the start, go and do it, be selfish, go and beat two or three players, or trying to, he didn't try and do that. It, you know, this is your chance, and he was really poor. That's I'm not saying he's he's rubbish or anything. You, you know what I mean. All I'm saying is that it was a very disappointing performance. But it just looked like everything was a chore when surely it's not. You know, it, it shouldn't be. And again, he was the first person who came on at the weekend when Leicester needed a substitution. They brought on uh, Demari Gray. That's exactly his position at the club. And it shouldn't be any difference unless he starts to play unbelievably well, so well where you can't actually leave him out of the team. Some would say that's already happened. But what his position is, is getting that team when someone maybe drops out and then once you're in the first team, play well from the start. Not just an impact sub, play well from the start. That's football talked about then. Well, football on the pitch anyway. We had the small matter on Monday morning of... Leicester City being in a one of them Champions League plastic balls, watching Rude Hullet try over and over again to get pieces of paper out of plastic balls. It was quite comical at times, considering it's supposed to be quite a prestigious uh, event. But Leicester City were there in the draw for the knockout stages in their maiden Champions League campaign, something that was way beyond our wildest dreams this time last year. We got Sevilla. Are you happy with that or would you rather have had one of the big big boys well first of all rude hullet he uh he struggled somewhat but not as much as ian rush do you remember the actual draw for the group stages he was oh, all, yeah. all over the place um now basically whoever we got uh would have been fine you could look at any angle if we got leverkusen they're probably the best team that you can go on and beat um if we got one of the real big boys you know if we got real madrid or bayern munich or psg then there's your glamour tie. Now, 
I was all for the glamour. I wanted to go to Munich, say. I thought Bayern Munich would be a, a team that, A, we would have a very, very slight chance of beating. Um, but it wouldn't have been a big glamour tie. I think overall I'm quite happy. One, because it's a fabulous away day. Um, slightly awkward to get to, though. Looking at the flights, there's no real direct flights. So everyone's trying to go via Malaga or via Jerez or all sorts of different ways and then hiring cars or trains and that. So it's maybe not as it's easy as going to be a lot of Brits say. abroad trying to drive on the right-hand side. It's a bit of a mess. Um, I've got a few irons in the fire, but we'll come on to that say, in, in future episodes. Cool. But, um, of course you have. I have you're, as well. Mate, you're, um, you're, for fuck's sake, Selby, you're going to charter a private <laughs> plane, aren't you? No, not at all. It's, there's a few irons in the fire, but we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. On, but um, are you going to sail there? I'm not going to sail there. No, it's you know. But um, but anyway, it's. But the one thing to say is yes, it's a great tie, great place to go. Also, do we have a chance? Yes. Have we got more chance of beating them than other teams? Yes. Are they a fantastic European side? Yes. They have not lost a knockout game for the last 17 games. They've won the Europa League what three times on the bounce or something. Hat trick of wins. It, uh, quite frankly, amazing. Um, so yeah, they are, they're they're a very very capable European side, like you say. But there's a lot of fans maybe who go to the King Power or who follow Leicester quite closely, but don't know an awful lot about football or European football. Let's say that would be thinking, "Oh, we've got Sevilla. Who are they? I've never really heard of them. I know there's a place in Seville in Spain that makes oranges, grows oranges, whatever." But it's. I think it's one that we need to be really, really wary of for the reasons that you just said there. They, they, they are fantastic at knockout European football, um, and I think obviously having the second leg at home is the advantage that's awarded to us uh, by virtue of being group winners. But to go to Seville, I think we'd be. I think to put ourselves in any kind of position. I think a good result would be to lose 2-0. I think they're that good. And I think then we just get it back to the King Power and see what we can do. I, I agree. Um, I think anyone who knows their football knows how good a team they are. So when people turn around and say, it's not the glamour tie, that's fine. Hand on heart, if we played Munich, we would have had a 1% chance. If we played Real Madrid, honestly, we would not... I just don't... There would have been no chance. In, in my eyes... We would have had no chance at all. PSG, you don't know because they can, they're a bit of a mess of a team, really. Um, they've got some, and they play in the French league, which is not particularly that's competitive. True. And they are a very good team with, with fantastic players, but they are lacking somewhat this season. Um, but I generally think if we played one of the real big teams, we we would not have had a chance really at all. And it could be embarrassing away from home, and then you go into the home leg. 5-0 down and it's a bit of a non-event for me I completely agree about Seville I think a good good result over there is losing by a goal um, if it's losing by two goals and we've got an away goal all the more the better because we what we can do is we can try and smash them like we did Man City at home we can just fly from the start and, and see what happens you know end of the day our mission in Europe was to try and get out of the group we did it in some style and We've done it in the Leicester way. We, we were fantastic and we threw in a, a massive clangor at the end. That's who we are. Um, and if you look back on this season, our Champions League, look what we've done. We've broken records left, right and centre for good and for bad. Um, and let's just get... We're, we're all just going to go into this game with big smiles on the faces. So if it was Sevilla, if it was Munich, if it was Bayern Leverkusen, it doesn't matter. It's just amazing that we're in the conversation and... 
I'm pretty sure everyone was glued to the radios or to the TVs watching the draw. Um, we were broadcasting it live and it was just unbelievable shouting out for every single team. Personally, I my team I really wanted, actually, if you wanted to ask me, I, it was PSG because I think we would have had a chance of beating one of the now giants of European football. PSG was the glamour tie that was perhaps slightly more doable than your Bayern Munich's, your Real Madrid's. Because they're a mess and also what a great and easy away day it is because it's basically next stop after London on the Midland mainland. So um, Get on a train, yeah. Exactly, you get on a train and you're there. So you, and you think about these things. when Well, I, I say that and, and when a few people turn around and say, oh, well, you don't want to play them. No, if you're a football fan who can, if you're lucky enough to be able to go then PSG would have been great because it would have meant thousands of Leicester fans going and just enjoying the Champions League for what it is. Um, I told everyone about the, the story of going to Copenhagen. I didn't have a ticket. I went with a few friends. We, we didn't have any tickets. We went ticketless and we end up getting into the ground for the in the home end. We'll be doing the same for Seville. So people listen to this. We don't get free entry for away games or anything from the club. Yes, we work uh, for the club broadcasting at the ground. But we don't get any special favours. I am as much as a fan as everyone else. So I'm in the same boat ticket-wise, Seville. I'll be going there just for the laugh and to just enjoy the atmosphere and enjoy a run in Europe that may, may never happen again. So um, enjoy. I think it's a great draw. Absolutely fantastic. I would have said that about any team, though. But uh, that is all in the future. We can look forward to that. Um, let's just get a few more points in the league so we're not looking over our shoulders come February. That's the main thing. When we get round to that first leg away at Seville, we want to look round in the league and go, right, we may be 15th, we may be 14th, but we are 10 points off the relegation zone or 9 points off the relegation zone. So realistically, we are clear. I'm under no illusion that we're going to finish mid-table or even mid-to-low table. That's fine. If we finish 17th or 7th, it doesn't matter. As long as what I want is just the pressure to be off the team, off the players, um, come the European game mid-Feb. Yeah, because the thing is, yes, the Champions League is a different entity to the Premier League. Yes, it's the last 16 of the the best club competition in in world football. But if you're embroiled in some kind of, not even a relegation scrap at, uh, scrap at that point, because there's still a couple of months to go of the league. But if you're, if you're looking very closely over your shoulder and you sat 17th, 16th, just a couple of points above the relegation zone... You can't. You probably can't put as much into that last sixteen game because all of a sudden, yes, the Champions League is a massive thing, but the priority has to be sort of staying in the Premier League. So you can't treat those Champions League games as as one offs as we kind of have in the group stages so far. If things continue on this kind of below par level, you're going in there with with a slightly different mindset. You're thinking, oh bloody hell, we could get relegated here. And all of a sudden, it, it takes away from the enjoyment of the tie for the players, the fans, everybody as well. And it, like you say, it puts on a, a lot of added pressure. It does, it does. And um, I mean, I, I think I think we'll be fine. This weekend, we've got uh, Stoke City away from home and Arnautovic is missing. I think it's a great opportunity for Leicester. Hopefully, Schmeichel's back. Hopefully, uh, Drinkwater's back, we'll wait and see but that's a really good opportunity for Leicester to get something away from home which they've not managed to do this year and then we can go into the Christmas period on a little bit of a high uh, and again just keep on pulling away from that relegation zone um, it's going to be a difficult game every game in the Premier League is 
But hopefully by the time we come around to our next podcast, which will be the Christmas episode, then we can basically celebrate the fact that we are X amount of points clear of the relegation zone, looking forward to next season, uh, to the new year, and um, basically doing a little bit of a review of 2016, which is not the worst thing to do. Um, it's not, and it probably won't be the shortest of podcasts. Uh, no, it probably won't be. Well, there's a few things on the uh, in, on the agenda for the uh, the Christmas podcast. If you've got any questions, then please send them through. We've got a few people who sent a few uh, questions and uh, bits and bobs through uh, to for Fox Eight Podcast at gmail dot com. Also via Twitter at FFS Pod for Fox Eight Podcast FFS Pod. Uh, through Twitter, go on Facebook and search for For Fox Sake Podcast and you'll find all the details on there. Uh, we'll read some of the emails and tweets out next week uh, on our Christmas podcast uh, because obviously we'll have uh, quite a bit of time and uh, and it'll be a bit more relaxing and we'll also be in the same room which will make it a lot easier. Uh, so anything to do with the Christmas podcast, send through your highlights of 2016. Uh, hi- <laughs> a bit difficult there really because everyone's going to send the same one but just your thoughts generally about how it's gone so far this season and obviously from last season as well. Uh, the final thing is uh, Sunday. Uh, what do you think is going to happen for BBC Sports Personality of the Year? Because remember, Jamie Vardy, he's nominated for the main award. Team of the Year, the odds-on favourites are Leicester. And also, it could be Coach of the Year. What do you reckon? I would be delighted with Team of the Year. I don't think Vardy will get Sports Personality, and I don't think Ranieri will get Coach of the Year either. Well, Well, well he might. He might, but te- team of the year, I think, would be the big one as well because, yes, Ranieri masterminded it. Yes, Vardy got the goals to propel it, but ultimately it was built on the foundations of of a team performance. Well, if you do, uh, if they do win an award and they go up on stage and the camera pans to a couple of individuals waving a big blue and white scarf, then uh, that would be me and my dad. Right. Uh, so You've uh, not got yourself in. I have. Crikey, I look forward to hearing about that next week. <laughs> yes, full rundown of uh, what goes on there, because that's what I'm going to see behind the scenes and what actually happens in that. So, um, also, if you are unreal, if you're ever going to go, get, we're going to have to wrap this up, Pete, because I've, I've got a dash to work. But you are just you, you are how you get yourself into these places. I will never know, and I'm probably not going to ask. Yeah, well, basically, if you're ever going to go, now's the right time because I'm a big blue and white scarf and and celebrate the team, hopefully winning one of the big awards. But I'll leave you because you've got to go and do some broadcasting at the National Swimming Championships. It's the ASA National Winter Meet. Yes, I'm going to go and try and entertain the crowd as best I possibly can. Right, good luck with that. And we'll be next with for Fox sake with the Christmas podcast, which will take place sometime next week. So uh, we'll, we'll see you all for that.